I thought tonight that I would start by sharing a story that I came across this past week. Um, 2014, the University of Virginia men's basketball team defeats Duke to win the ACC championship. It's the first time in nearly 40 years. Here's a picture of, of them winning the championship. Danny Foley is one of the team's assistant managers. He's there uh, documenting uh, the, the kind of historic win for the team. It's kind of somewhat difficult to tell in the next photo, uh, but, but he's standing right there in the center with a white shirt on with his hands in the air. The only problem with Danny Foley is that he's not actually an assistant coach at all. He's actually just a college sophomore and really likes the Virginia Cavaliers. He and his friends were watching them that season, and he noticed something about their assistant coaches. He noticed that every single game, every single assistant coach wore the exact same outfit, a dark suit, a white shirt with a bright orange tie. And so what does he do? He's a college student. He says, let's pull off an epic prank. And so he and his buddies go to Walmart, and a few dollars later, they find some cheap knockoffs, and he looks like a bona fide assistant coach. The next day, they go to the game. When the game starts, they're in the game. Danny's waiting for his moment. And then a TV timeout comes, and that's where he takes his move. Marching confidently past an usher, then past the cheerleaders, he gets to the court and says, this is awesome, but I need more. And so instead of just staying on the court, he decides that he's going to join the huddle. So here he is, right there, literally, literally in the huddle in another TV timeout. The game's over, Virginia wins, historic win. Foley says, you know what? Being in the huddle during the game, that was awesome, but that wasn't enough. I gotta do something more. I gotta join my teammates and fellow coaches in the handshake line after the game. So here's a picture of Danny Foley on the left shaking Coach K, legendary Duke basketball coach, shaking his hand. Nobody has any idea that this dude is a fake. He's a sophomore in college, not an assistant coach. So the story goes, confetti begins to fall, celebration ensues, Virginia gets their trophy, and Foley is just there, just chilling, hanging out for it all, pretending to be an assistant coach when really he was just a student. You see, I love this story because it's hilarious and it's a relatively harmless college prank, but I've been thinking a lot about it, and what I started to realize is that Daniel Foley is a lot like you and he's a lot like me. You see, what he did that day at that game is something that everybody in this room knows how to do. Pretend. You see, Foley put on a front. He pretended in that moment to be somebody that he wasn't. Why do we fake it sometimes? Why do we pretend? As I've been thinking about that, I realize, you know, I think we pretend because we have insecurities. I think we sometimes pretend because we're afraid of being known for who we really are. I think we pretend because sometimes it helps us get the things that we want. We pretend sometimes because of the pressure that our parents and our professors and our classmates and our friends, the pressure that they put on us. We pretend because we just want to fit in. Have you been there before? Has that been you? I, it's for sure been true of me. It's for sure been true of me. I'll share an embarrassing story. Um, the summer after my freshman year of high school, I had the opportunity to go to Young Life Camp at Sharp Top, Georgia. Um, Sharp Top Cove in Georgia. Uh, if you're not familiar with Young Life or Young Life Camp, Young Life is a, it's a Christian ministry for high school-aged kids. And, and Young Life Camp is this incredible 
kind of week-long summer camp experience where, where a lot of high school-age kids hear about Jesus and the gospel for the very first time. And so the way, if, if you're not familiar, the way that camp works is there's a lot of stuff going on during the day, but at night, uh, there's a camp speaker. He gets up, much kind of like this kind of setting, speaks for a while, talks about Jesus, shares some stories from the Bible. And after these talks, we break up. We go back to our cabins, a smaller group of dudes. In my case, guys, girls would go to their own thing. And, and we continue talking about the topics from that particular e evening uh, with a leader. And for most people... Uh, the last night of camp is particularly powerful. And it's particularly powerful because the last night of Young Life Camp is the night where the camp speaker focuses primarily on Jesus' forgiveness and why that really matters for our lives. And so keep in mind, most of these students hearing this have, have never heard these kinds of things about Jesus and the Bible before. And so after the talk, I remember my friends and I walking back to our cabin and, and we start discussing these things uh, with one of the leaders and, and a few minutes later one by one guys start to really open up start sharing some really heavy things about their lives and then before before I knew it they're not only sharing about things like one by one they start crying like like not just like a couple tears in the corner of their eye like guys kind of trying to hide like dude version ugly cry like really crying um, and I've known these guys my entire life I'd grown up with them, sports, you know, all sorts of different things. And I'd never seen them cry before. And not only were they crying, it seemed like one by one they kind of, for whatever reason, came to the center of the cabin. And all of a sudden it was like this massive group hug. Like these guys are just hugging each other and they're crying. And I'm telling you from this perspective because I was a little bit creeped out by it, to be completely honest. I'm still sitting in my bunk bed. I was on the bottom bunk, kind of off to the side. And... Uh, I'm kind of watching this all unfold. And to be completely honest, I'm, I'm oscillating between being super creeped out and terrified of, of these 12 dudes crying and hugging each other um, on the one hand, and, and then on the other, being really compelled by what was going on. For some reason, there was some part of me that really wanted to be a part of that group hug cry fest in that cabin in Georgia that night. But here was my dilemma. I wasn't crying. Didn't, not, not a drop of water in my eyes. I wasn't particularly moved. I, 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 I just wasn't there. I was kind of just not. So I had to decide what was I going to do. And this is where the embarrassing part comes in. Because I decided that would be an awesome idea to fake crying. So I, I literally, I'm not kidding. You can laugh at me. It's fine. It's ridiculous. I literally start fake crying in this cabin with these guys, like whimpering, sniffling, the whole nine yards. And not only am I fake crying, I go in for the hug as if like I'm a part of the dudes. I'm crying. Not really. I'm faking it. I'm going through the motions. It wasn't sincere at all. You see, I wonder if sometimes this is how we approach Jesus. We know the right things. We say the right things, we do the right things, but really we're just going through the motions. Um, Patrick shared this a few weeks ago, I think. Uh, we, we spent some time in Israel uh, earlier this, I guess last month now. And while I was there, I was talking to a couple and, and they were asking me about Veritas. They were asking about our ministry. And, and they said, hey Kyle, what, what is, what's something that you want to be true of, of Veritas students? What's something that you want to be true of the students that are involved in Veritas, in your ministry? 
And, and, you know, to be honest, as a pastor, I get that question. I think about that question a lot. Our staff team, we talk about it a lot. And there are a lot of different ways we can answer that question. You see, we can answer that question and we could say, we really hope Veritas students love the Bible. We really hope Veritas students have a desire to show hospitality, have a desire to serve. We really hope Veritas students love to pray. We really hope Veritas students have a heart for missions all over the world. Those are all really great things to say, great ways to answer that question, things that we for sure want to be true of you all. But that's not how we answer that question. You know how we answer it? We say that the one thing that we want to be true of students involved in Veritas is that they would follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. You see, my greatest hope, our staff team's greatest hope, is that your love for Jesus would never fade away. Now, I wish, I wish that I could tell you that that was true of every single college student that has come through our doors. I wish I could tell you that that was true of everybody that's been involved in our ministry. But if I'm honest, I can't. I can't, because I've, I've been on staff. This is my 10th year now being on staff with Veritas and The Crossing. And over those 10 years, I've seen a lot of things. And in my experience, you know what the most often reason that I see students fall away from their faith is? They were faking their way through the Christian life. You see, they looked the part, just like Danny Foley looked like an assistant coach. But really, they were just pretending. You see, over the last nine-ish years... I've known students, I've known guys and girls who've grown up their entire lives in a solid Christian family and get to college and shuck their faith because they turn 21 or they find alcohol more interesting than Jesus. I've seen students go on mission trips for weeks, for months, have life-changing experiences, and then come back, and weeks, months later, things are back to the normal. I've seen committed students, Veritas students, start dating people and they know that they shouldn't. And before long, they stop coming to Veritas. They stop going to small group. They stop going to church. They stop reading their Bible. I've seen small group leaders. I've seen Veritas interns graduate, trade in their faith to fit in with new friends in a new city. I've seen ministry leaders get married. Graduate, get married, it's a beautiful thing. Not too long after, get divorced because of adultery. You see, unfortunately, that list, it goes on and on. And to be honest, these are the stories, these are the parts of my job that I hate the most. The stories and people that, that I, that our staff team, that we lose sleep over because the devastation in their lives is so gut-wrenching. It's so hard to watch. And in each of these cases, whether these students were aware of it or not, at the time, their faith in Jesus wasn't genuine. They were just going through the motions. They were just faking it. You see, sometimes here at Veritas, we ask uncomfortable questions. Sometimes we press a little bit harder than others. And tonight is one of those nights where I'm, I'm admittedly, I'm up front, I'm telling you, I'm going to push a little bit. I know it's hard, but I'm going to ask an uncomfortable question. When it comes to Jesus, are you just faking it? 
Are you faking your way through the Christian life, pretending to be somebody or something that you aren't? Are you just going through the motions with Jesus? What might that look like? Maybe you know a lot about Jesus intellectually, but you're not that interested in letting Jesus challenge your heart. Maybe you come to Veritas each week just to fit in. You have friends here. You want friends. And for whatever reason, these are the people that you want to hang out with. It seems cool. Maybe you go to Veritas. Maybe you go to church. And in those times, in those places, you act a certain way. But Thursday through Saturday night, you're a different person. Maybe you come to church. Maybe you come to Veritas. Maybe you do small group because it's comfortable for you. You've grown up in the church. You know the right answers. It's just going through the motions. It's not really changing you. You see, I'm not sure what your story is. I'm not. But here's the deal. These are the same exact questions that I'm asking myself every single day. What are my motives? Is my love for Jesus genuine? For the past several weeks, we've been doing a talk series here at Veritas called Encounters with God. And each week, we've been looking at different stories in the Bible. And we've seen how a genuine encounter with God transforms, it fundamentally changes our lives over time. But tonight, we're going to shift gears a bit, uh, if you haven't noticed already. And by way of negative example... We're going to see through the life of one of Jesus' closest disciples that there are real and dangerous consequences to faking our way through the Christian life. And let me just say this. I know that sometimes these things are difficult to hear, but hear me say this. God gives us these kinds of stories as a warning to us, a warning that challenges each of us to face and to wrestle with that uncomfortable question. When it comes to Jesus, are we just faking it? Let's pick up the story uh, tonight in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. This is what it says. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who is called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. You see, the Gospel of Luke tells us early on in Jesus' public ministry that he picks 12 guys and he calls them his apostles. Apostle is just a word that means messenger. And, and these guys in particular were to serve as eyewitnesses to Jesus' ministry. They had the specific task of extending Jesus' ministry throughout the world. And so for three years, the, 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 the length of, of Jesus' kind of public ministry... These guys are with Jesus every step of the way. You see, they would have lived with Jesus. They would have traveled with Jesus. They would have talked, obviously, to Jesus. They would have learned from Jesus. They would have shared from Jesus' ministry. It's cliche, but they would have went to Jesus' Tuesday night meetings. They would have gone to Jesus' small groups. They would have gone to Jesus' socials. You see, of all Jesus' followers, the disciples had the most access to Jesus and were undoubtedly some of his closest friends. But eventually we learn that something happens. We learn something about one of his disciples. We learn that he's a fake. He's been pretending. Picking up in Matthew 26. 
Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver Jesus over to you? So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver, and from then on Judas watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. We know that that opportunity came just a short time later when Jesus was praying in a garden, a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. And later in Matthew 26, this is what it says. While Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. And with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with him. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. See, for three years, Judas had been one of Jesus' closest followers. He'd heard his teachings. He'd seen his miracles. He'd seen Jesus' compassion, his love, his forgiveness, his grace, his healings. But for Judas, that wasn't enough. You see, instead of genuinely following Jesus, what we see is that Judas was actually just going through the motions. He's pretending. He was a fake. And Matthew tells us that this fake follower of Jesus betrays his friend with a kiss. Why? Why did Judas do it? What was going on in Judas' heart? Well, here's what was going on. Judas followed Jesus when it was convenient for him. Judas followed Jesus when it helped him, but he sold Jesus when it cost him something. You see, Judas was interested in following Jesus if it meant getting something that he wanted. But when following Jesus got difficult, he didn't want anything to do with it. He wanted out. The disciples early on in Jesus' ministry, they got confused. You see, they thought that following Jesus would bring them fame and power and prosperity and honor. That Jesus would give them the life that they always wanted, the life they'd always dreamed about. They thought that following Jesus would be convenient. They thought that following Jesus would be easy. But the thing about Jesus is that the longer that he spends with these disciples, the more he kind of turns their thinking upside down. He turns their thinking on its head. And that's because following Jesus costs something. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, that to get the life that they've always wanted, the life that they were created for, to get that life, they would have to give up everything to follow him. And so that's why he says to them, whoever loses his life for my sake, whoever gives up his life for me, whoever sacrifices his own life, that person is the one who will find the life they've always wanted. But that's not what Judas wanted. Judas wasn't ready for the cost of following Jesus. And so he sells him for 30 pieces of silver, four months worth of wages. How do we know if we're pretending to follow Jesus? How do we know whether or not we're just faking it? Here are a couple, a couple of good questions that I think that we should wrestle with. Do you follow Jesus as a means to get something that you want? Do you love Jesus solely for the things that he can get you? To a certain extent, that's all of us, right? I mean, if we're really honest with ourselves, there's something that we all share in common with Judas. We all love God to a certain extent for the things that he can get us. And so when things are going really well for us in our lives, it's easier 
it's more convenient to love Jesus because he's helping us. But what about when Jesus, when following Jesus, it costs us something? What about when, when life gets hard? What happens when we don't get that thing that we want? What happens when our parents tell us they're getting a divorce? What happens when we don't get that relationship or we lose the one that we have? What happens when we don't get that job or that internship or that grade or those friends or the looks? What happens when we don't get that stuff? It's tempting to sell Jesus in those moments. It's tempting to want the gifts more than we want the giver, right? And so the question isn't whether we're seeking after something. The real question is, what is it that we're seeking? Do you love something more than you love Jesus? That's, I, I know that that's a really challenging question. But if that's you, you might be faking your way through the Christian life. And here's the deal about faking our way through the Christian life is somebody's going to eventually find out. Uh, 2013, a mother and her young son uh, are at a zoo in the third largest province in China. And, and they get to everyone, or, or I suppose most people's favorite part of the zoo, the lion exhibit, right? And if you've ever seen a lion, if you've been to a zoo, I'm assuming you have, uh, you know that seeing a lion's incredible, hearing a lion is even more incredible. It's like this, this kind of awesome but terrifying experience all at the same time. Except that particular day, at that particular zoo in China, there wasn't much to be afraid of. Because when this little boy and his mom, when they get to the, the African lion exhibit and waiting, they're standing there waiting for this lion to come out and to start roaring, what they see instead is this, a Tiberian mastiff. You can't really see that. It looks like a giant brown blob. But trust me on this, it's a dog. Right? Apparently, this zoo is going through some economic difficulties, and they decided that they were going to try and fake a lion with this dog. And as you can imagine, when they were found out, it created chaos, and the zoo shut down for a while, and on and on and on. Right? This is clearly not a lion. It's, well, clearly, it's, I don't know what it is, but trust me, it's a dog. Here's why I share that story, beyond the fact that it's ridiculously awesome. Uh, I share that story because I think sometimes we think that we can pull off pretending. I think we think that we can get away with faking our way through the Christian life without somebody noticing. And even more, I think that we think we can avoid the consequences of faking. But hear me say this, that's a lie. You see, eventually somebody's going to find out, and the consequences are very real. What happened to Judas? How did his story end? Look at Matthew 27, 1 through 5. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him and led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and to the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is it to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left and went away and hanged himself. Here's what I want us to pay attention to. Notice how Judas handles his mistake. 
See, Matthew tells us that upon realizing what he's done, Judas is seized with great remorse in Matthew's words. In other words, Judas regrets what he's done. He recognizes his horrible mistake. The problem, though, is that he can't undo the consequences of his sin. He tries to fix the problem himself. He tries to make it right. He tries to give the money back, but the chief priest can't help him. There's nothing they can do. And so when Judas realizes this, he throws the money down. And he goes out and kills himself. Why did Judas do that? Why was that his response? See, Judas thought that he couldn't ever be forgiven. Judas thought in the midst of his faking, in the midst of his pretending, all hope was lost. Judas didn't understand something really important. He didn't understand the mercy and grace of God because Judas was a fake follower of Jesus. It's a tragic ending to the story, right? I want us to hear the consequences of faking the Christian life are real. They're serious. Every single one of us, myself included, needs to hear that. But here's the good news. There's always good news when it comes to Jesus, right? The good news is that this isn't how the story has to end. If you're here right now and you're maybe feeling this a bit, and you're faking your way through the Christian life, and it's leading you to despair, it's leading you to feel like there's no hope, hear me when I say this. There is always hope in Jesus. In Jesus, there is always grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. And we know this particularly when we look at the life of Peter, another one of Jesus' disciples who knew exactly what it was like to be a fake, to pretend. While Jesus is being mocked, while soldiers are spitting in his face and hitting him with their fists, Peter is outside in a courtyard. And while this is all happening and Peter is in this courtyard, a little girl comes up to Peter and she says, Hey, weren't you one of those guys that was with Jesus? Now, of course, the answer is yes. But Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. And then a little while later, another woman comes up to Peter. She says, Hey, aren't you one of those guys that was with Jesus? And Peter says, I don't know the man. And finally, a third time, someone sees Peter and asks, Hey, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And Peter starts cursing. And he says, I don't know who you're talking about. And if you're familiar with the story, right in that moment, a crow starts, a rooster starts crowing. Just as Jesus predicted that it would when Peter denied Jesus the third time. You see, Peter knew what it was like to be a pretender. He knew what it was like to be a fake. In the Gospel of Matthew, it tells us that when Peter realized what he, was, what he had done, he, he runs outside and he starts weeping bitterly. What's the difference between Judas and Peter? Both men follow Jesus. Both men are Jesus' disciples. Both men know what it's like to pretend. What did Peter believe that Judas didn't? the end of the Gospel of John, we get a really great picture of what Peter believed that Judas didn't. Peter's in a boat. He's in a fishing boat out on the sea. And, and he, Peter hears that, that Jesus is resurrected, that he's alive, and that he's not only resurrected, but he's actually on shore. 
And so what Peter does is he straps a towel around his waist and he jumps out of the boat and he does everything he can to get to Jesus as quickly as possible. He can't get there fast enough. And remember the last time that Peter saw Jesus, he was in a courtyard saying, I don't know that guy. I've lived with him. I've been with him. I've seen him. I've done things with him for the last three years, but I don't know him. And now he's doing everything he can to get to Jesus as fast as he can. You see, Judas tried to fix his problem himself. And Peter, Peter, he runs to Jesus as fast as he can because he knows he can't fix it. When you struggle with sin, when you struggle with pretending, when you struggle with going through the motions and faking, do you run away from Jesus in despair? Or like Peter, do you do everything you can to get to Jesus as fast as you can? You see, rather than running away in despair, Peter runs with his pretending and all, with his mess and all. He runs to Jesus and he asks Jesus to change his heart. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He forgives him and he restores him completely. I love reading the account of, of Peter denying Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. If you remember, uh, the Gospel of Mark, it's written by a guy named John Mark. We, we talked a little bit about this last semester. But really, John Mark is just writing down Peter's own words. Peter's dictating and John Mark writes. And what I love about this account in the Gospel of Mark is that there are more details about Peter's denial of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark than there are any other gospel in the Bible. Why? Why would Peter add more negative details about himself, about his own sin, about his own experience with pretending? Well, it's because Peter knows that he's forgiven by Jesus, and he can openly talk about his sin and his failures because he knows that it magnifies God's grace to sinners. And so as the music team comes up, I'll close here. See, Peter knows better than anyone that God's grace that God's mercy, God's forgiveness is real. And that's really good news for us. It's good news for us because every single one of us in this room struggles with sin. We all struggle with faking. We all struggle with pretending. We all struggle with going through the motions. It's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when. And when we do, it's what we do with that struggle that matters the most. Do we recognize it? Do we allow other people to point it out in, their, in our lives? And when they do, do we try and fix it ourselves? Do we run away in despair? Or do we recognize it? Do we let people point it out and do everything we can to get to Jesus as fast as we can? You see, there's hope. Hear me when I say this. There's hope. For you and I amidst our faking, if we bring it to God, asking him and him alone for forgiveness and asking him and him alone to change our heart. Remember, Jesus isn't surprised by our mess. Jesus knows the way. He knows the ways that you and I are prone to wander. He knows the ways that we're prone to leave him. He knows the ways that we deny him. He knows the ways that we pretend. And in spite of all of that, in spite of that sin, he looks at each of us with love and with grace and mercy and forgiveness. And he says, come, don't run away. 
Don't run away. Come to me and you will find mercy and forgiveness. Amen.